In March of 2018, my partner and I decided that we were going to move out the coming summer from our 550-square-foot apartment. And if you're moving when you're 30-plus years of age and have a bit of money saved up, the conversation inevitably arises. Should we continue to rent or buy? We weren't sure what we'd do, but we did know, at the very least, we would test the waters. This testing of the waters led us to one Jess Tasker, the real estate agent. I didn't know much about realtors prior to meeting Jess, and to be honest, I kind of assumed they were all along the same lines of pushy salespeople. But fortunately for me, I was about to be proven quite wrong. Jess Tasker is a 34-year-old, Ontario-born, longtime resident of Nova Scotia. She bounced around from a human kinetics education to working in construction, working for different newspapers, and she even started her own furniture design company. But it wasn't until a roommate, who happened to be a real estate agent, started her on her current path through the world of real estate. And it was this path that she's been sticking with ever since, for over five years working as a realtor in Halifax. And for the record, realtor and real estate agent are the same thing. This is a career I really don't know much about. And if you're listening, perhaps you're the same. So if you've ever wondered what gets a realtor up in the morning, keep on listening. This is Mike Syme with How to Be a Real Estate Agent. So Jess, thanks so much for coming. I'm really glad you can make it. Fair enough. Thank you for that lovely intro. So Jess, maybe the best way to get people to kind of get a picture of who you are. Okay. Are there any inspirational figures, any famous biographies that you've really enjoyed and kind of look up to or maybe aspire to a little bit? You know what? I love a biography. They're so interesting. Richard Branson is someone I really like. I just admire the the van the 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 van, the brand that he's built with Virgin. I just love his books and I love the backstory. And I love hearing about his interests. So yeah, I totally get it. Why uh Richard Branson as opposed to Bill Gates? Ooh, um I think because I have more of a grasp of what Richard Branson does perhaps whereas I find that people who are intrigued by you know these people like uh, Elon Musk and Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs are a little bit more in tune with the world of technology. I like that Richard Branson started a newspaper in high school and basically grew it into this amazing brand that is so multifaceted and Something that you might also maybe look to Richard Branson as opposed to, say, Bill Gates or Elon Musk is that he seems a lot more relatable than the other two, yes. personality-wise. Richard Branson seems like an approachable guy. He's a fun guy. Yeah. Not to be confused with fun guy, <laughs> but he I was, just I seems, wasn't going to do it. I'm happy you did. Uh, yeah, he seems like a totally, you know, kind of a rad person. And of course, I don't know him personally, but- I also admire the fact that he just kind of goes for it. Because from what I would say is you have more in common with Richard Branson than the other two, purely based on that personality type. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I like to think so. He's, he's pretty laid back. But also, obviously, hardworking. Competent yeah. and hardworking. And that, yeah. again, I think those types of traits are important in real estate, especially being a realtor. I think so. I think so. It's very important to be relatable. Because I think 50% of this game, I shouldn't call it a game, it is not a game. <laughs> it's very serious, but it is just 
managing psychology and and making people feel okay and just yeah it, it is an important quality jess one of the things i find so interesting about your job yeah is that it's only one of a handful of paid positions that intersects with super emotional people on a predictable and reliable basis like you have doctors and midwives helping out with uh, people giving birth yeah teachers who receive kids from weepy-eyed parents on the first day of school, funeral directors whose customers are generally grieving. Yeah. And then you have you, <laughs> like a person who gets paid to put people into homes. So like on one side of the transaction is a super emotional person. And on the other side is someone who is just doing their day-to-day job. Right. Like, does it take a toll? I assume there's high highs and low lows when like, because you're dealing with people when they're super anxious and scared, but also they're like thrilled and over the moon. How does that affect you? Yeah, that's, I mean, I enjoy, I really do like people. So that definitely helps. And I like, I like people to feel good. You know what I mean? Like I just, ah, everyone should be happy (laughs) and an optimist and yada, yada, yada. But then sometimes they're not. You know, like you're doing a home inspection, something goes awry and it's like, oh my gosh, this house that they love has this major issue. So then you've got to just kind of bring the team together and say, this is how we deal with it. You know, and if they're not willing to negotiate with us guys, like it's it's, it's not worth it. You don't have 30 grand to, to fix the foundation. So getting back to your question, yeah, how does my it affect you? Thing. How does it affect me? So when I started and I put in an offer and let's say we left it open until the morning, like I did not sleep that night. And Oh man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that went on probably for the first 2 years. And then I kind of had to have like a self-chat, self talk with myself and 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 just say like this is a career. It is a high stakes, highly emotional career. But if you let this eat you up, you know, you're not going to last. So for longevity of my career, I've just, I've had to learn to treat it as a job the same way that a doctor dealing with life or death. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Or like a preschool teacher, you know, taking a kid for the day from a parent for the first time. You just... You, I don't want to say you become desensitized to it because you don't stop caring, mm. but you you just learn to to cope basically. And I still have days like these past couple of weeks have been a lot, like busy and you know things coming up that you didn't expect. So you know I am um, dating someone who's great, and so I can talk to them, and that's really helpful. I you know walk my dogs. And when I go to bed at night, I just say, there's nothing you can do mm. overnight between the hours of, well, sometimes I do work past midnight, but generally between the hours of, you know, midnight and 7 a.m., nothing's going to happen. So you may as well get some sleep so that you're rested up. But yeah, that's a really great question. And I think that it's just been the repetition that has helped me to get used to dealing with people going through these these major life events because for them they may only buy two houses in their life and and for me you know I'm buying and selling 25 to 40 in a year that kind of thing 
So you just, it's desensitization. It's a terrible I, word for no, it. I, I know, <laughs> but I, I've, cause it's, I was the other one I wanted to throw in there as well as like a wedding planner, another. Yeah, like, sure. That's their job, but they deal with people on what could be the best, absolute best day or like one of their most stressful, anxious days. Or a wedding photographer. Yeah, all these things. I that, mean, yeah. wedding photographers charge the amount that they charge because it's you don't necessarily get a hundred weddings a year. You know, they're mm, doing right. quality over quantity because the thing has to be perfect on this one day yep. that's going to happen, right? And, and that so one they've day developed many days for them. Exactly. They've just developed the skills. They have the gear. They are the person that can make that thing happen. I'm not sure how to best describe it because I do agree with you. It's tough to explain without using the word desensitized, which kind of conjures up images of someone who really doesn't care at all. But the thing is that you and doctors and wedding planners and primary school teachers do care. You know, if if the two home purchasers or sellers are up here, it's not like you're a mile away. You take a couple steps back, though. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great analogy. I. I love, I'm, I'm a people pleaser, so I love seeing people happy. But if we've controlled the controllables and the thing's just not going to happen, then, you know, we need to feel okay with that not happening because if you beat yourself up over it, it's not going to accomplish anything. Anyways, all's to say, yeah. <laughs> probably the most stressful part of this job is that you can never really leave it. You're kind of on call 24-7. And so whenever I go away, there's a bit of stress associated with that. But um, I do have a colleague. He's my broker. And so he will look after things for me while I'm gone. But I, I like to kind of control my own things. But Yeah, because they're your things. Exactly. So that's something that I've had to kind of coach myself through is just that ability to be able to step away from work and say, What's it all for if you can't, yeah. you know, go and, and do something that, that you enjoy? So. I mean, again, in such a personal profession, you, like all the interactions you had with us, be it uh, on the phone, email, or in person, that was you. Yeah. And so you just, you can't, uh, there's no way you can replicate that. It's true. Yeah. I, I like to say that this um, career is basically 50% psychological, like management in a way, because you know, it's my job to kind of absorb that stress. It's funny because sometimes on the inside, I'll be screaming. You know, yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, this is such a frustrating transaction. You know, this sewer line is falling apart and we need extension on financing and there's a backup offer. And so inside, I'm just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But with my clients, you know, it's like, no, it's going to be all good. This is, I'm going to break it down. This is how we're going to deal with all of this. Keep cool. What's meant to be will be. Um, probably one of my favorite sayings is control the controllables. You're dealing with people and emotions on the other side and people and emotions on your side. And it's all about getting that all to gel and come together to something that everyone's okay with. So when you first started out, were you a full-time realtor right off the bat is that a, even a job where you can make ends meet when you're first beginning? When I started out, I worked part-time because I needed to pay the bills. And I think in my first year, I maybe sold, I want to say, six or seven. So selling six or seven, uh, I mean, is that a lot? Can you live off that many sales a year? 
Um, yeah, I could actually. Yeah, I could. And then consistently since then, it has just grown and grown. Um, so eventually it got to the point where I quit that part-time job. What were you doing part-time? Yeah, I was actually, um, working at the coast at uh, the coast newspaper. Yep. They're so awesome there. And, um, I was basically the, the front desk person. I was there part-time. I say front desk, but it was uh, multifaceted. I did invoicing, that kind of thing. So I got to manage their classifieds, their dating site. Um, I got to kind of manage the drivers that delivered the paper. So right. yeah, it was great. And actually, they've turned out to be a really supportive uh, kind of crew of of my career, which which I appreciate. A few people have have bought and sold with me uh, who work there or have worked there. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, you know, I should have this written down, but I feel like it was six or seven when I started. And then there started to be uh, a bit more interference with work. And so I thought, okay, it's time to take the plunge and see if I can actually do this thing. So you quit your reliable part-time work at the coast. And it was at this point where you were going to turn your side gig of realty into your whole livelihood. I have to assume when you did that, it was kind of a scary leap of faith. It was really terrifying, actually. And and when I started, I actually uh, had like a business partner um, and she'd been in it a little bit longer than I had. So we worked together, but you're basically splitting all of your commission checks. So, you know, it's nice because you have that support, but it's like two people kind of sharing, yeah. you know, one kind of basket of, of work. Like your uh, your whole income is commission, is that correct? It is, yeah. And like a one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So in terms of being a real estate agent, how exactly does commission work for you? Yeah, so anything that is commission based, so you only make money, to put it bluntly, when you have a transaction come together. So real estate is very high risk in that. You could work with a client for two years, spend tons of time with them, and they might never buy or sell anything. So there's a real investment of time and not knowing whether or not you will get the financial reward at the end. So that's essentially how it works. So in real estate, we get paid on closing day. So once that property transfers hands from one owner to another. That is when we get paid. So usually typical closing is one to three months. So, you know, a house gets marked as sold, but your clients don't move into it for two months. So there is a two-month waiting period uh, for that paycheck. I know for me, one of my questions when we first started talking was, pretty sure I asked you quite bluntly, like, is there a conflict of interest for you to basically almost pressure us into selling? And how how do I, as the you know the buyer, know that I'm getting like your objective feedback? You're not just saying something so that you can to get make a, a sale. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that is a qualm that most people have about anything that is commissioned. All I can say is that bad anything gets weeded out pretty quickly and people talk. So the people who are high pressure, et cetera, don't tend to succeed. They're not getting referrals. No. And referrals are really such a big part of this industry. And so yeah, if you're if you're high I hate high pressure people. 
I yeah. it is yeah. the ultimate worst thing. And I don't know. I think that when you guys bought a house, you could just probably sense that I wasn't desperate. And and I I find if you give off that sense of being desperate, then people don't trust you as much and just doesn't make for a nice relationship. But yeah, it can be stressful. Like if you've had a slow few months, you know, you you just, you got to keep doing a good job. doesn't matter. Well, in the long run, that I think will always be better to just keep doing a good job rather than be like, oh, I really just want to close this, get these people to buy so I can, you know, get new pants or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> new know, pants. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So if you want to be successful at anything for a long time, you're just going to do a good yeah. job because eventually you're the, the, the act's going to catch up with you. Jess, I have to say I love the wholesome reason you just gave there about just doing a good job. But isn't there also like a legal element in terms that you have to, like by law, act in our best interest? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there are three types of agency. So we'll talk about the first one, which is client. So most of the time you're going to be a client in a real estate transaction and so i basically have loyalty to you i can't can't divulge any of your confidences and like this is by law this is by law yeah yeah Yeah. so we sign a buyer brokerage agreement and that's in writing you know but at the end of the day i have to do whatever you tell me to do so you were at the coast at one point yeah and then you were working there which correct me if i'm wrong doesn't have a great overlap with real estate unless like you didn't get some sort of inspiration while working at the coast to go into real estate no um (laughs) totally uninspired no (laughs) not at all just just a different realm of work that was really something to um to pay the bills and actually uh as a summer job in in university i originally grew up in toronto so i worked at the globe and mail for a summer i worked in human resources and i was there Ooh maybe in my second or third year of university so so did you do journalism in school in- no i did not so this is kind of this is how this is how my life went so i um went to school at saint of x i took human kinetics loved it but i got to a point where it was either i did more school or sorry more school to become a more school to become a physiotherapist okay. Or I was really thinking about um, maybe my maybe doing my PhD and becoming a prof, but I didn't like the idea of my life being dictated by where the jobs were. Like I wanted yeah, to yeah. live where I wanted to live. And so that to me wasn't appealing. I was also worried about taking on more debt and, you know, would I be able to pay that back, that kind of thing. So after university in Antigonish, I decided that I didn't want to go back to Toronto. It wasn't quite me anymore. I really loved the East Coast and the people here. So I decided to give Halifax a shot. I needed to make some money. And uh, I ended up getting a job as a construction laborer. And I really wanted to go traveling to New Zealand. So saved up some money, went to New Zealand. Went back to Toronto to mom and dad's house uh, where I didn't have to pay rent. Worked in the restaurant industry and thought, okay, I'm going to move back to Halifax permanently. So I started doing my carpentry apprenticeship. This was after you had a taste of construction? 
Exactly. Yeah. So I had that summer job of a construction laborer, went traveling, had no money, went back to Toronto, decided I wanted to move to Halifax and try to set up my life here. So I decided to do my carpentry apprenticeship, did that for a while. And then I was approached by a large construction company to basically hire the workforce for them. So like carpenters and laborers and that kind of thing, and, and, and essentially provide job sites with people power to get the buildings built. So I did that for a while, really did not enjoy it. And I'd always, always wanted to build furniture. So I kind of had the carpentry skills. I'd always wanted to work for myself. So I ended up getting a business loan. I started this really cool furniture company called Trunk Studio. Drunk? Trunk. Okay. Trunk, <laughs> Trunk Studio. Where the carpenter's always drunk. <laughs> yeah, and the furniture's no piece always is the same. crooked. Yeah, exactly. No piece is the same. Oh, good one. Maybe that's next. I don't know. No. Um, so did that. That was a really neat time of my life so I actually rented this like workshop in this woman's backyard and I was doing the mock-ups but I couldn't afford the really nice table saw and miter saw and furniture gear that you need you'd lease that stuff or would you have to buy it outright I went yeah you would have to buy it outright um so I went to Canadian Tire and I bought Everything Oof. that they had on sale, so a Ryobi, you know, piece of junk kind of table saw. But that helps me be able to create these mock-ups of what I wanted to do. And then I ended up finding a local guy, Mick, who's from England originally, and I started hiring him to actually do the finished product for me. So I'd design it, do the mock-ups, and then Mick would kind of take it from there. And it was so neat. Like, what a neat time in my life. You know, my furniture was in the Globe and Mail. I did a couple of design shows, one in Vancouver, one in Toronto. My work was on Canada AM on CTV. And then it was so cool. I was being featured on blogs in New Zealand. And then Qatar Airlines, Q-A-T-A-R. Oh, Qatar. Qatar, Qatar. I've been told it. I don't know what it is. You say tomato, I say tomato. Well, Anyway, it's it's a fancy airline, we can all agree. Yeah, so I don't know. Anyways, however you pronounce it, I, it's this very high-end, swanky airline that off, yeah. operates out of Dubai. My chair was featured in their like glossy in-flight magazine. I was like, what is happening? So of course you think the thing's going to take off. But the reality of it was is that I was making everything in Canada wasn't cheap to get it made um so that by the time I was selling these chairs for like two thousand dollars I was maybe making three or four hundred and it just wasn't a feasible business model by the end of it so it was a neat time in my life um but I was really broke and so then I went uh oh I had this roommate who was working in real estate and so I would watch her go through these transactions and I was like oh this is really fascinating and just kind of watch her. And then one day it was just like a switch went off and, and, and I said, I'm going to do real estate. This looks awesome. So you were in Tor- Toronto or Halifax? No, Halifax. Okay. Yeah. So by this time I'd been in Halifax probably for six or seven years. So the furniture thing was all in Halifax as well. And uh, decided to get my license. So I wrote the exam, got my license, and then I just kind of dove in. And I was really fortunate because I did have this friend who became that business partner. So I was kind of able to like shadow her and learn from her. 
so yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, a brilliant mistake, I, I guess, in the end, because I it's neat because I have the carpentry background, so I can look at houses, and I'm pretty critical generally. So people really love that, and I like working with people. So it's just it's great. It's a good fit that I I never thought I'd be doing it. It seems like it's a good fit. Again, you don't strike me as someone just from like the because we spent like during the month of. April and May, we were seeing each other probably at least once a week, it felt like, on average. Yeah. And sometimes more than that. And you never at any point struck me as someone who felt like you were going through the paces of, gotta go do my job today. (laughs) It it felt like every time you showed up, it's like you, I mean, seemed as excited as we were to go view stuff. Um, It's so cool. But I really do have to say, I am happy for you. I mean, it's less common than I would have thought for someone to be making a living doing something they really enjoy, Mm -hmm. but here you are. Though it it sounds like you did bounce around a bit before you landed in real estate. Uh, What did your parents think of all of these career switches and jumps? Oh my gosh, my parents are amazing. So I actually did quite well in school. I finished top of my class in um, BA, human kinetics, and... uh, you know, they thought that was great. And then I said, Mom and Dad, I'm going to become a construction laborer for my summer job. Um, and they were like, oh, all right. Well, I just wanted to go traveling. I needed money to travel. So that was fine with them. I feel like everything I do is fine with them and they're totally supportive. So when I wanted to go from construction laborer to doing my carpentry apprenticeship, I remember my mom cutting out newspaper articles from the Globe and Mail about women in trades and sending them to me, oh, wow. you know, in the mail. And I was making... It's like encouragement kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, I was making it was minimum wage work and they just thought it was so great that I was a woman doing carpentry and there was just zero pressure. And, and I think being a carpenter is an awesome profession. I'm knowledgeable about it, but some people just have the knack. Like, I could never build a staircase. You know what I mean? Staircases no, are complicated. No, I don't really know what you mean. Like, what... <laughs> Staircases are probably one of the most involved and difficult things to do in construction. <laughs> Jess, I'm going to have to ask you to elaborate. Like, wh- why are they tough? Is it tough to make them not collapse, or why are they hard to build? Yeah, so you obviously have to meet code, but if you're trying to get a staircase to fit within a space, oh, right. like your risers have to be, like you don't want them to be different sizes. You want them to be equidistant. All's to say, I find my background in carpentry very helpful, but I didn't see myself being the most awesome carpenter in the world. But I'm competent. I can build some things. But uh, yeah, my parents were were awesome about my transition into carpentry from university. What do they do for a living, just real quick? Yeah, so um, my dad is 73. He's still working. He's a very young 73, really cool guy. His bread and butter, and I'm still fully trying to understand my dad's job, but is basically um, developing benefit plans for companies. And so he's been doing that for over... 40 years, um, totally self-employed and, uh, yeah, still doing that. And my mom is awesome. She, uh, worked for the J- Japanese consulate oh, cool. for a little bit. And then she 
got into advertising for a little bit. So if you've ever seen the spinning dime, that used to be a big thing on bank commercials. And then she uh, stayed home with us when we were young. And then when she was in her 40s, she went to she went to York, got her master's degree, and then she actually taught radio broadcasting and creative writing at Ryerson University. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say at least on the surface that your career and your parents don't have a ton in common. Though I guess at the core of it, it sounds like all three of your work is very people oriented. Mm-hmm. But I am curious though, Jess, uh, once you actually committed to your path, once you switched from carpentry and you're no longer at the coast and all that, and you were committed to real estate, how much time and money was between you and actually being able to sell houses? Yeah, so I think it costs about $4,000 and then the course itself is a month in class or you can do it online as well which is a lot harder Um, and I think you can kind of take I want to say as long as you want but that can't be true maybe up to a year to kind of plow through that Um, I was working at the time as well so I couldn't afford to just take a month off to go into class so I did it online but I was learning so much from my friend who got me into real estate uh, and from my broker that I felt like I was learning way more being out in the field than by doing these courses, which cost money. And when you're starting out, you know, you don't have a lot of cash flow. So I actually found it quite stressful on, you know, my fi- my pocketbook. I'm glad you mentioned that. So this back to this concept of uh, real life experience versus classroom teaching, what's personally helped you more in your opinion? Uh, being taught by your colleagues on the job or these formal classes early on? I'm a big fan of real-life experience. Yeah. There's no better way to learn. And there's also no, uh, it's not really, I don't care how good the simulations or the, you know, the case studies get, there's not really any replacement for it either. There's really not. No. Uh, yeah, which I, I guess totally isn't that agree. insightful because, I mean, duh, <laughs> it's very unique in that regard. I think that was very insightful. Well, I've never you. heard anyone thank say you. that before. <laughs> that there's no replacement for real life experience. You've heard it here first. There folks. you go. Yeah. Uh, that's great. But uh, no, it, I mean, it's it's not shocking to me that uh, the the most of it comes. Because how can, how can you teach someone in a course the relationship management that you would have experienced from your very first transaction that you facilitated. Like you can't get, you can't put that um, emotional weight behind like a textbook page that you see in someone's eyes when they're nervous about buying a place. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And you deal with so many personality types. You really do. So there's, yeah, it's not so cut and cut and dry. You have to have a really high EQ to, to make a go of it. You've got to be really good with people and reacting to them. And So your EQ level, which, uh, <laughs> again, stands for emotional quotient. Yes. That I, I happened to notice in just a quick Google search I, I did of, of Jess Tasker. I discovered that you were a valedictorian of your high school. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, would your high EQ maybe have played a part in that, do you think? I think so. Yeah, so that school actually really did a lot for me. Um, I went to... Is this high school? Yeah, this is high school. So I, it kind of neat. Uh, growing up, I played hockey, ice hockey growing up. And there were a couple of friends I had on my hockey team who went to the school called Havergal College. 
which, you know, I can't say enough about that school. It really is incredible. I'm very fortunate I was able to go there. But it's kind of neat because I did kind of harness my EQ. Like I, I was just nice to everyone. I've never been really cliquey. I actually had someone tell me that, I sound like I'm bragging, but <laughs> that I had the highest number of votes yeah. ever for any head girl. And I think that's just from being, I don't know, niceness goes a long way. Like, I just yeah. like people, I, you know, and and it was never an expectation that I had that I would be valedictorian slash head girl. But I just thrived in that environment. I did really well and I was happy. And as a result, I don't yeah. know, I guess I just kind of gave off happiness. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to describe. But yeah, that was a neat Really neat part of my life. It feels a bit like a glory days talk now because it was, um, geez, 15, 16 years ago. But going to that school really, really helped me with my confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think it's pretty amazing how far just being friendly and outgoing can get you in life. I mean, it's not going to open all the doors for you, but if you can get your foot in, then there's no organization that I'm aware of that looks down on that kind of behavior. And, and so I couldn't have brought this up without mentioning the fact that I also was valedictorian nice. of my high school. Right on. Congratulations, Mike. Oh, thank Mike. you so much. It's Again, I'm still <laughs> reveling clearly in it. But yeah, I, I really just think the trick is kind of being friendly to everybody. I yeah. mean, it's it's not too hard. And especially if, if it's something that comes a little bit more naturally to you in terms of being interested in getting to know people, Yeah. then yeah. it's all the better. But I have to say, Jess, now that I know you were valedictorian of your high school, the story of your success as a realtor is fitting together just a little bit better than before. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and I think that you're genuinely interested in people, hence the reason that you're doing this bro this broadcast, this podcast. You're doing a podcast about people. I love learning about people. You love learning about people. And when that's genuine, it just it's amazing where it'll take you in life. It's a really nice way to live. So speaking of being friendly and social and all that stuff, how does networking fit into your life? Is that something that you find yourself needing to actively do mm. by going to events? Or is it just something that happens naturally and the network that you've created has largely been organic, uh, for lack of a better word? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I personally I don't particularly enjoy networking. I find it hard to engage in like useful, deep conversation, but I do do it. I have um, one friend who puts on a networking event probably once every three to four months and I go to that and I enjoy it. But my networking is basically my personal network that I just built in Halifax by virtue of, of having friends and knowing people. And then I found that when my career started off, my friends would use me and then they would tell their friends and then those friends would tell people and that's basically how it expanded so that by the end of it, you know, I'm working with people who didn't know me from my pre-real estate days, essentially. I don't engage in a lot of networking Not actively. Activity. Yeah, yeah. But I find the same thing is like I don't like doing it. I love talking to people and I love meeting new people and yet that networking thing which is just that somehow doesn't jive with me yeah and i think maybe we're similar there I, i'm not sure why 
my theory is that it feels a little contrived, you know, like you're going to an event with the goal of it rather than just going to have a good time and hopefully you meet some interesting people. Like it feels forced. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. And yet I think networking is a really cool thing. I'm just not very good at it. I'm not, I need to like psych myself up yeah. before I go I'm to like, network. And here's my card. Right. Yeah. Which is funny because you're so good with people and you know, I think I'm quite good with people as well. So it's funny to me that we shy away a little bit from that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm still working on that answer because uh, like it's something I do think I need to get better at or at least frame it in such a way that it fits more naturally with the way I like talking to people. Yeah. But I haven't figured that out yet. So when I do, I'll send you an email. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> when when um, you said your first couple of client relationships were with friends. Yes. Th- how did that feel? I mean, I can imagine what it felt like on their side, but for you... Like that feels like it'd be a lot more pressure than just like a stranger kind of like because if you if you completely botch it, then not only is that a botched transaction, but you're like, ooh, they might not like me anymore as a friend. <laughs> well, then I uh, what was I going to say? I've never botched a transaction. I don't think I you know what? I never have. Yeah, um, I can honestly say, but I understand what you're asking and I actually don't worry about that. And I think that just comes with confidence and knowing that I'm good at what I do. But even for that first time? For that very first. Well, see, I was fortunate in that when I started out, I had a business partner. Right. Yeah. So she had been in the industry for a bit. So I was able to shadow her and she was kind of bounce ideas back and forth. Yeah. She was doing hand holding. So I was never like alone, alone. And you never really should be. You should have like a broker on call, that kind of thing when you're starting out. So that's one of the nice things about starting out in real estate is there's always someone there to kind of yep. kind of hold your hand. But yeah, that's a great question. Because it's for me, like that's one of the, they say, I don't know who's they, but they say don't do business with friends because if, if it goes sour, you not have only ruined a professional relationship, but potentially also a, you know, a personal relationship. I, I I have no real experience in the matter. I've never done business with friends, but I've always been kind of fearful that it's like, oh, maybe we wouldn't work well together. Is you know we we're friends and we get along great. Yeah, but it's very different to work with people than it is to socialize. Yeah, that's a really good point. I enjoy working with my friends, and I appreciate the loyalty that I get mm-hmm. from my friends. And so for me. Mixing business with friendship is something that I actually enjoy. Um, And my friends know that I really care and they know that I'm good at my job. I'm sure if they thought I was a bit of a dodgy character, they, (laughs) you know, would maybe go elsewhere. But I think that the proof is in the pudding and, you know, they have watched my career kind of grow. So for me personally, a lot of my friends use me and I love that. Some people do have that qualm. But I would say that if your friend's good at what they do, then you should support them. Well, Jess, I think I'd have to agree with your friends on this one. I would say that you are pretty good at your job, especially if staying busy is any indication of that. But I think more importantly, I would like to know, do you think you're good at your job? Yeah. Why, I guess? And I don't mean that like I'm questioning 
like, why are you good? But, uh, <laughs> like, what is it that makes a real estate agent better than another? Sure. I am really good at reading people. I would say my ability to speak with and relate to all kinds of different people has really helped me in, in this career. And because you need to make sure that those people are respecting what you have to say and that they are actually listening to you. So you need to do that in a way that they can relate to, you know, so you can't be standoffish. You can't just be like, well, I'm going to tell it like it is. You can't do that, you know? And, and so I'm good at the emotional management, I guess, but also everything that goes on behind the scenes. And, and, and I can say now five years in, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm equally good at both. So that's a really nice place to be in your career because of course, when anyone starts something and they're new, they're learning and I will always have things to learn. Every, every house is different. Every sale is different, but I feel, it feels good to be like, oh, got this like I can I can this is this is like my jam I can do this you know so that's a a good feeling so yeah I would say repeating myself again which I tend to do as you probably know summarizing (laughs) Summarizing ability to deal with people and then of course like the logistics of a sale and everything that can go wrong from you know financing to inspection to negotiation all of that good stuff. It's a big deal. So yeah, I think I appreciate that and I respect the process and I really value what I do. I think it's important. I think it's worth reiterating just how important it is to be an excellent communicator for what you do. Like there's a lot of jobs that require good communication, Sure. but oftentimes it's to a similar personality type. Whereas in the course of a day, you might meet with three or four completely different types of people. Yeah whether they're a couple of retired architects selling a multi-million dollar home on the South End or just a young family buying their very first home in the suburbs. Just people from all walks of life. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think it's very impressive to tailor yourself to so many different communication styles. And I, I think too, so yeah, dealing with all of those different personalities, but also um, the world of viewpoint has mm-hmm. kind of oh, yeah, made yeah. everyone a quote-unquote expert, Yeah. right? That website, that has actually, it's now like we have to, it's not just that we're providing information, we have to show our value in other ways. Because everybody's an expert now. Exactly. So I find that that's the the biggest change. And I'm like, yeah, no, you may have gone on on Viewpoint. And yeah, you know, I I think we're kind of in range of of where we should be for for the the sale price of your house. But listen to me here. And this is why I think we should push maybe a little bit higher. Maybe we're being a bit too ambitious. And then people hear you talk and they're like, oh, okay. I think that's the biggest thing is, is showing people and they do realize pretty quickly that it's not just about clicking around on Viewpoint and seeing sales history. It's everything else. There's a, to me, I think viewpoint is, it's like if I view the world of real estate as like a kind of an ocean, viewpoint is an excellent glass bottom boat. Totally. I, I mean, I, if it weren't for that, I would know nothing. Yeah. But I mean, I've never do- dove into the water, so to speak. Exactly. One of the parts of your job I find kind of funny is this whole concept of staging a home for sale. Now, I know like we didn't really experience it just because we were on the buying side of the transaction this time around. But if we wanted to sell a place, y- you have to give us kind of advice of like, 
you can't have this, you know, this creepy family photo on the wall. <laughs> yeah. So like, how how do you go about like telling people uh, your home looks great, but you're going to have to change a lot of it if you want people to come in and see themselves here? Like, that's got to be a difficult conversation. Have you ever heard the term compliment sandwich? It's a critical point between two uh, compliments. Okay. And say, oh, I really love your fridge. This rug's, you know, it's a bit dated. Very cool, don't get me wrong, but I feel like, you know, the vibe we're going for it might might not fit. But the table that's on top of the carpet, that that's rad. We're going to keep that. <laughs> See how I did that? Yeah. I did, actually. <laughs> I thought I thought I found the second compliment there, but then I was like, oh, no, she, she likes the table. Great. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> exactly. Wow, that, you've done that before. It is a very sensitive thing, and people are very tied to their homes, especially when they've been there a long time. Like my parents sold their house after 30 years, and my mom refuses to drive by it. And my dad drives by it and is upset about the lack of lawn care going on. You know what I mean? So it's, um, you know, it's place, the place where you spend most time. So it's very emotionally charged. So with all the emotional ups and downs that you experience in this job, has there ever been a time that you've truly considered throwing in the towel and going back to carpentry, going back to the coast, doing anything else? No. Not, no, not truly considered it. No, had moments of being like, I'm, this is crazy. I'm stopping this. But, but no, um, because at the end of the day, my broker said this to me the other week. I'm like, oh, this happened. And then this thing happened. And he's like, you're having a 20% week. So it's 80% good, 20% bad. And sometimes, you know, the difficult stuff comes boom, boom, boom. But overall, I really like my job and it's good 80% of the time. If you know anyone who has 100% job satisfaction. It's not sustainable. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's sustainable. <laughs> yeah. So Jess, I'm afraid we're actually going to have to start wrapping it up here. But before we go, I have to ask, you don't have a jingle, do you? Uh, no. I don't. <laughs> do you want to come up with one? <laughs> if you want to buy or sell your home, there's no one faster than Jess Tasker. Hey, that's pretty good. Uh, I'd give it a B. Minus. I think you nailed it on the first one. Yeah, okay. I'll put it to uh, some like <laughs> ragtime piano music to it. Amazing. And then uh, the calls for work are going to start flooding. I know. I don't know if I'm prepared for this flood. We'll see how it goes. So once again, that was Jess Tasker of Canoe Realty in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Very special thank you for coming to Jess because it means a lot to me. And as a point of business, I have to say that I am actually trying to get, you know, some home editing equipment at the moment. So rather than releasing one of these every month, I'm hoping to, you know, double production to two a month. And then we'll see how that goes. But thanks again for joining me. I had a great time.